for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Good morning. If you've got a Bible and you like to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's where I'm going to be referencing this morning. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're looking at a new series, uh, which will take place over the next... um, five, six weeks, um, looking at the good news. And uh, there's lo- we live in a world, don't we, of bad news. You don't have to go far, turn on your television, pick up a newspaper, talk to somebody uh, at the school gates, uh, somebody at a conversation perhaps at work, and you find out there is indeed a lot of, of bad news in this world in which we live. Um, and so we want to discover this good news that we believe in. And uh, We want to really get a grasp of it in a way that impacts our lives, impacts us more as a community, and enables us to be an effective witness to the world in which we live. And so um, the the tagline is, how the gospel changes everything. So would you say that with me? How the gospel changes everything. So that's what we need to remember. This good news that we're talking about is a message that literally changes everything. It changes you, it changes us, it changes society, it changes the world, and it holds out tremendous hope for us. So let's just go, shall we, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and just we'll read a few verses here, and then we'll come back to it a little bit later. So 1 Corinthians 15, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, or in some translations it will have the gospel that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news, this gospel, that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. I want you to notice those those references there, just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, and most of whom are still alive. In other words, so you can go and check out with them if you like, Um, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles, and last of all, As though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. And in fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way that I persecuted the church. And then he talks about how he has found favor with God. Those songs that we sang this morning, brilliant songs, talking about the gospel, talking about the good news. And has already been hinted at this morning, there is a simplicity to it and a profoundness to it. Uh, The 19th century theologian said this, Charles Hodge said this, he said, the gospel is so simple that children can understand it. So we want our children to know the gospel because they can be saved at their age. They don't have to wait till they're 15, 16, 17, 18. And I was reading some research the other day which Uh, relating to America, that if I remember it correctly, over 40% of people who profess faith in the States do so under the age of 16. And that's staggering. So 
those who are involved in children's work, youth work, should be encouraged. So the gospel is so simple that, that small children can understand it, and it's so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches. That is the beauty of the gospel. You don't have to have degrees in theology to understand the gospel. Uh, you can know it as you are. But then as you come into it, you discover the truth of it. You discover that indeed there is such a well here, such a, a mine to be, to, to, such a mine shaft to be pursued and to be dug out and to explore those riches. That's why we as Christians, however old we are, we're always enjoying the gospel. Because there's always something about it for us. And the gospel doesn't just belong to, to isn't just for people who don't know Jesus, it's for us as well as the church of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, as a church, the gospel is at the very heart of who we are and what we're about. And if we, we don't get it, then we and the mission that we're involved in, that we're called to, will suffer. And that, you don't have to look far. Just look over church history. And see, when the church loses sight of the gospel, soon the church begins to wither. Soon uh, it begins to fall, fall in numbers and, and, and fade away. But when there is a recovery of the gospel, there is a recovery of the church. The two go hand in hand together. So, first of all, let's have a look at what it's not. Let's have a look at what it's not. Because there are all sorts of ideas out there. And I know I've encountered some of these when I've been witnessing to people, when I've spoken to people, and, and some people would say these kinds of things to us, to you. And some people will think it's, it's about being religious. It's about conjuring up certain religious feelings that just kind of help us along the way in some way or other. Others will think it's about moralism, trying to, to be good, to be a good person. And I've known people who've said, well, I, I live by the Ten Commandments. Well, have you done it completely? You see, there is, a, there is a moralistic understanding of what the church, of what the gospel is all about. Trying to be good. Trying to even, uh, not, if it's not the commandments, it will be the beatitudes. I live by the commandments. I live by the beatitudes. Well, I tell you, we fail on them. And if we do not fulfill them in completion, then we have failed. If you go out and you run through a red light, you haven't just broken the red light concerning the law. You have broken the law. You have sinned in the face of the government, in the face of the authorities. You have broken the law. And then there is the, 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 a way of looking at it that thinks of the gospel in terms of some kind of self-improvement, of kind of you know, pulling your socks up, of, of, of just trying to somehow improve yourself, a kind of a good advice thing. You know, try Jesus and you'll feel a little bit better as if he's some kind of philosopher who can come alongside you and just drop some nice words in occasionally and help you uh, through the next hour, help you through the next day, the next week. And then there's the idea that it's, it's a personal opinion, that it's, it's a, an idea that's out there to be shared amongst all the other ideas out there, all the other philosophies, etc. This is what I believe. And and actually, when you think of the word sharing the gospel, I mean, think about this. To share something is, well, I'll, I'll share this with you, but you can take it or leave it if you like. That is not actually the nature of the gospel. And you'll find that out as we go along. This one might hit home a little bit more because it, it hits at something that's very important but can also be misunderstood. It is not the, full, for the four spiritual laws, though they may have a part to play. And if you, if you don't know what they are, they are, number one, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The problem is, number two, sin separates us from the God 
who has a plan for our lives. And we can't do anything about it. Number three is Jesus has come and he has paid the price for all our sin. So all that we need to do now is to repent and believe in the gospel. And we can discover the wonderful plan that God has for our lives. That's, they're good points, but that, that is a reductionist gospel. We have boiled it down to far less than what it actually is. And that, when we follow that particular route, we have a believism where people come and say, yeah, I believe that, but we don't have transformed lives necessarily because the whole gospel is not being shared. So what is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It is, first and foremost, an authoritative announcement. It is a proclamation of good news. Turn to the person next to you and say, the gospel is a proclamation of good news. Well, that was a kind of a mumbling. And that, that, that is not what the gospel is. It's not a mumbling. It is, the gospel is good news. Now turn to the person next to you and say, the gospel is good news. That's better. I saw a bit of finger wagging then as well. Yeah, come on, get it. The gospel is good news. Gospel uh, in the Greek is evangelion. Evangelion. It's where we get the word evangelist, evangelism, and so on. So we're, we are kind of, we should be good news ilions, if you like, if I can sort of do that with the word. We should be people who exuberate, who communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. And it simply means good news, and the word was in use in this way before uh, Jesus came on the scene. The Romans used it uh, before Jesus, uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, there they used the word to, to proclaim the good news that Caesar was Lord. And this meant that it was tied to the, the Pax Romana, that sense of Roman peace, and, and all that that brought with it where people were offered free bread, people were protected, and uh, there was a sense of, of peace upon the empire. And all Rome, Rome wanted in, in response was your allegiance. The allegiance of everyone to confess Caesar as Lord and be obedient unto him and to the empire. That way they would experience, experience the blessings, the benefits of the kingdom. When Rome accomplished something great, the heralds were sent throughout the kingdom to declare the Evangelion, to declare the good news of what had taken place, some military victory, etc., accomplished somewhere else in the kingdom. So the word gospel at the time of Jesus was already in use as a means of saying, here is some good news, some good news regarding our king and the kingdom achievements. Now, we need to back up a little bit. So what was good news to the Jew? Because this is our context. We have to ask, what is the context of the gospel? Uh, what is the good news to the Jew? And um, when we look at the scriptures, we find that they have been anticipating for many, many years, many, many centuries, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of, of Messiah. They had known a tremendous time of peace and blessing under King David. He was the greatest king that they had ever had. But things had not gone well for Israel for all sorts of reasons. And they longed for a king who would one day restore peace and protection and prosperity to, to Israel, who would indeed be their savior, who would be their deliverer. 
They long for a king. They long for a kingdom. And when you go to Jerusalem, as Pam and I have been and others have been, and you, you go down to the Wailing Wall, and you, you walk amongst all the, the Jews there, and, you, and, and there is still that sense of longing. Messiah, Messiah, where are you? King, oh King, when are you coming to restore the peace, to restore our nation, to restore our prosperity? It is sad to see that kind of blindness and to walk amongst that kind of darkness. In Isaiah 52, we read these words in 52 verse 7, and we, it's been written as a hymn and written into songs in different ways in the past. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. That was their longing, that once again they would hear this good news. Once again it would be obvious that God, the God who they believed in, reigns. The watchmen, they shout and they sing with joy, for before their very eyes, uh, they to see the Lord returning, they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song. There's a prophetic announcement here. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. It's not just Israel. It's the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation, the victory of our God. That is the announcement that Israel was looking for. That is the good news that they had been longing for. That was what they were wanting to hear. They were waiting, and they had all those prophetic words, and you could go through Scripture and find more, how it speaks to them and holds out this hope and so on. But to fully understand the gospel, uh, the good news, we, we need to know the bad news. The plight that we're in. And the bad news is truly bad news. Um, I remember on one occasion in, in, uh, in Kenya preaching on the gospel. And, and I started in, and I was doing a series through Romans 1 to 8. And I started in chapter 1. And afterwards the pastor said to me, he said that was... He said, no, it was the next night when I did the next one. He said, after the first night, he said, it felt really black. It felt so dark. It felt so lost. And in many ways, we have to understand the darkness, the lostness that we are in without Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, we will never understand the purpose of Jesus. We will never understand his coming. And one of the things that they are finding on the mission field is you you can't just start with Jesus when you're telling the gospel. You've got to tell the whole story. Because it's when you unpack the whole story, it begins to make a sense of why Jesus came and why not only Jew but Gentile should believe in him. And uh, so when we think of this glorious gospel, we need first of all to think of the the bad news, the, the actual plight that we are in. We were made by God. We we were made by God. We were made for God. We were made for a relationship with God that should be the most beautiful relationship of all. A relationship that impacts all other relationships. A relationship that impacts the way we do society. We were made by Him to to steward creation as co-regents with God. And everything that God made at the very beginning, He said, was good. In fact, He said, it is very good. So God created a good creation. He made us in his image to be reflectors of that image to the world at large. 
that we, it's very easy for us to say, oh, Adam, Eve, we sinned and fell short of God's glory. We were in Adam. And humanity sinned and fell short of this, this glory of God. And the fall wasn't, as it were, a minor glitch at which, you know, a little bit of tape would do the job and hold it together for the rest of life. It was a major catastrophe. Something had gone wrong big time. You know, it, it, it wasn't like a puncture. It was more like the engine blowing. And, 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 and it needed a radical job. And with that... With that came into humanity something that never existed before, the the consciousness of guilt. I am now at odds with God. The consciousness of of shame because of what we've done. And suddenly something that had never existed there before, fear. And we can find those things worked out in different ways across the the nations of the earth, in different cultures, uh, the aspects of guilt and shame and fear, and we could dig into that in a deeper way. But the gospel addresses each one of them, and we need to know that. It's powerful indeed. So sin brought consequences. It brought a curse. It, It brought guilt and shame and fear. It corrupted us, and it corrupted the world system and put us under eternal judgment because God is a holy God. You know, when we look at some of the battles that are going on, it's not just against an individual. It's not just against an institution. There are spiritual powers at work. The whole system has been corrupted. Wouldn't I love to get into politics at this moment? (laughs) Because you can address it there as well when it comes to the principalities and powers. But we need to keep on track. God is is utterly holy. The angels cry holy, holy, holy before him day and night. He is so much other and different to ourselves. And the the thing is, the more you realize, the more we, we can't save ourselves. That it is impossible to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's impossible to put a little bit of tape on our lives here and there and just make those improvements, do those moralistic things because in every way it falls short. All our righteousness, says Scripture, is like filthy rags. Has no worth to them and will be thrown away. And so we we see this desperate situation that we're in. You've only got to look at the news. You've only got to read your newspaper and and, and discover, you know, you you just, I I, I look at the news each morning and I'm impacted by the fallenness of this world. In nearly everything I see, everything I read, the brokenness of humanity. I mean, you listen at this moment in time to the number of murders that have taken place in London just this year. That is the brokenness of humanity in every respect. It is a world that has lost sight of God. It is a world that has lost sight of the mercy and the grace of God and the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And so when you look at the, the, the darkness, when you look at the depravity, you, 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 you could, it could sink you. And let's be honest, it does sink some people. They look at their world. They look at the tragedy. And they wonder, is there any hope? Can I do anything? Can anything be changed? And so the number of suicides up you know, amongst the younger generations are up a, a staggering amount. This 
This is the lostness that we find ourselves in. This is the hopelessness. And this is where we need the gospel. Because we cannot save ourselves. We need a saviour. And thank goodness, Scripture recognises that. And, we have the, and so we have the story of Israel. And you may think that the Old Testament is irrelevant, but it's relevant because you can read yourself in there. You can read how you would respond to life in all sorts of situations. You can read the deception. You can read the lies. You can read the power plays. You can read just how fallen humanity is. And so you look at the story of Israel. Right from the very beginning, God had promised a saviour. He had promised a saviour. But for that saviour to come, there was a plan. And so he, he called Abraham, so he called his family, so he called a nation. And through that nation, they were to exhibit to the world the, the glory and the goodness and the grace of God. And what happened? Time and time again, they failed. They failed. They fell short. They were sent away to Babylon. And then they returned, but everything wasn't hunky-dory. wasn't what they expected it to be. Surely it would be better than this. And so there was that cry in their hearts for Messiah. But he wouldn't be just a a Jewish Messiah. He would be a Gentile Messiah. He would be the saviour of all men. And so we have this story of Israel and, and you step out. So you've got that hope there in the Old Testament and it's running through the prophetic announcements. God has promised Messiah. God has promised a saviour. You think of Isaiah 53 and how it describes his suffering, etc. And there's all sorts of things we could bring out there. You step over into this, the New Testament in the context of the word gospel and good news and you discover the birth of Jesus. Suddenly, on a very ordinary day in Bethlehem, suddenly the shepherds are out there doing their work like they normally did. Suddenly, there's a whole group of angels and this is announcement. We bring you... Good news of great joy. Wow. We've been longing for this for years. We've been anticipating this for years. Good news of great joy. A Savior is born who will be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Wow. I mean, what a prospect. What a prospect indeed. So Jesus is born to the sound of angels singing. Trumpets ringing. The king, the savior is born. The king has come. And so we have the the ministry of Jesus. And can I encourage you in your own time, because I haven't got time to go through it this morning, but to read the gospels and and underline where it says the good news. So when Jesus begins, he, he stands in the temple, doesn't he? And he utters those words straight out of scripture. If you want to turn to it, Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, as he begins his ministry, We read this. Verse 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that, that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. That was some announcement. They had been waiting for somebody to do just that. And there he was, right in their very midst, 
announcing to them his very purpose, the reason he was here and the reason that he was anointed. And in Mark's gospel, in other gospels, you'll find too uh, this sense that when Jesus went about preaching, what did he preach? 1.14, Mark, later on after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached good news, God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent for your sins, of your sins, and believe the good news. And so it was that the gospel writers introduced their writings as the good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That's every reason to to be reading constantly the gospels and reminding ourselves of the good news. So this, the ministry of Jesus was a presentation of the good news, a proclamation of the good news. It was also an action as well because he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. His ministry evidenced the inbreaking then of that kingdom through healing, through deliverance from evil spirits, through the raising of the dead, and justice also for the poor. He called his disciples... And he sent them out to do just the same, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. When you turn over into Acts, it is still the same message that has been offered there. That Jesus has come, Jesus has lived, and Jesus has died, and Jesus has risen. He is indeed the true Lord, the only sovereign, who is able to save all those who come to him. So in in the Acts and in the letters, we find that Jesus is proclaimed, he is announced as the fulfillment, as the climax of Israel's story, which at the same time is the story of how the one true God rescues the world, rescues you and rescues me. And in so doing, it speaks to our guilt, it speaks to our shame, it speaks to our fear, it speaks to the fact that we feel guilty, that we have done things wrong before a holy God. It speaks to the sense of shame that brings into our lives individually and corporately. It speaks to our fear about principalities and powers and, and all those things that may control and influence our lives. It is a gospel that impacts both the Jew and the Gentile and revolutionizes the known world. It staggers me when I read the gospels, when I read the Acts, when I read church history, that this message in such a short space of time should revolutionize the world in which it was proclaimed. For many people, they did not know who Jesus was. And then suddenly he is announced as Lord. He is announced as Lord. This one who was born in Bethlehem, this one who was raised in Nazareth, this one who, who, who went about teaching and doing good, who was a rabbi in all, to all intents and purposes but an extraordinary rabbi. This one who was crucified by the Romans was raised from the dead and he's alive. And not only is he alive, he's ascended to heaven and he's at the Father's right hand and people have experienced the outpoured spirit. It's like, wow, what is going on? Suddenly ordinary people were transformed. Their, Their lives have been made new by the grace of God. So the nature of the announcement The nature of the announcement, first of all, it is cosmic in its scope. It's cosmic in its scope. It takes, its reach takes in the whole of creation affected by the fall. And we need to understand that before we think of it in a personal way. Very often we start in the personal way, but we do need to understand that the scope 
of this message. A king, the Savior, was born. In Christ, God has now changed the course of the world, the cosmos. Literally. That's why we have the definitions no longer before Christ, but Anno Domini. We're now in that period after Christ. And it's a different story altogether. Yeah, there may be sin in the world, but the story is being written in a totally new way. Totally, totally new way. If you go, go back again to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Those verses that we read. So Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was raised on the third day as the Scriptures have said. So this had been God's prophetic promise down through the ages. That one would be born who would die for our sins and rise again. He, He was seen by many, many people, by hundreds of people. And then if you look a little bit further on, uh, Paul goes on to say in verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And we have been celebrating that this morning as we have worshipped together. We have been celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ and the new life that brings. But there is an order, verse 23, in this resurrection Christ was raised at first of the, as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So there's going to be a day of completion. Wonderful. Then verse 24, and after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say God has put all things under his authority. And of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that doesn't include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority so so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. That, That is colossal. That is absolutely colossal, that statement. And there's much more that we could draw into that. So it is a, a cosmic announcement, a reality that supersedes any one person's life. In Christ crucified, risen, and ascended, God has defeated sin. He has defeated death. He has defeated evil, Satan. He has faced and overcome the principalities and powers of this cosmos, of this world system. He has dealt with the guilt and the fear and the shame. He has reconciled the world to himself and has begun now a new creation. Jesus is truly Lord. And he now rules at the right hand of God the Father, bringing his kingdom in to completion. Wow. Going to need to go away and think about this. This is big stuff. This is a cosmic message. 
This is a message for the whole world. God in Christ has fulfilled his promise to Israel to make all things right. This is the new state of affairs testified to in the history of the nation of Israel and the church and the scriptures. A new era, a new world has begun. And so Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. That was not just a nice, Lord, your kingdom come. It was a demanding petition. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the way he would have us to pray about about those things that impact our lives, whereby the enemy would seek to pull us down, divide us, and conquer us in some way or other. Your kingdom, Lord, come. And we can do that because we know that Jesus has conquered. Hallelujah. He came into the world to destroy the works of the evil one. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. We have a job to do, brothers and sisters. And that is to proclaim this cosmic gospel which impacts the individual and all of society. And so secondly, it is personal. It relates to you. It relates to me. It has personal personal ramifications. The gospel is for you. It is for every man, woman and child upon the face of the earth. All need to hear this good news. Because without it, there is no hope. Jesus is not a possible way. He's not a way amongst so many other ways. Jesus said very exclusively, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That rules out anybody else. It rules out any other way. All other ways are the wrong path. Jesus alone. So the gospel, the good news is for you. It's for me. Jesus died in your place. He died in my place. And we we need to stop and just think about that just a little bit more. Because the death that he dies is one we should have done. He is the perfect Lamb of God. Takes our place. He takes our sin. He takes our shame. He takes it all. And he bears it as he walks towards Calvary. And so it is that in the garden, he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. As he feels the weight of our rejection of God and his purposes. As he feels the weight of our sin and all its consequences. He goes to that cross never having sinned, but bearing our sin. Not guilty, but bearing our guilt. No shame in him, but bearing our shame. So he goes to that cross, and he dies, specifically for people. He dies for you, and he dies for me. Praise God. The tomb is empty. Yeah. The tomb is empty. Praise God. He's no longer on planet Earth. Or he didn't die again. Praise God. He he ascended to the Father's right hand. And so now there is a man in the glory. There is one who 
there's our likeness. He's in the glory. And he is Lord of all. Wonderful. So the gospel then is a, a proclamation. But within that proclamation, there is a, a call, a personal call for us to, to repent, to acknowledge that we're in the wrong, to acknowledge, acknowledge that we can't put it right, and to, to believe this good news that Jesus is everything. I don't know whether you're like me, but sometimes you see those offers, don't you? They're out there, and they sound so, so good. And then you start reading the small print. Eh? And then you realize it's not such a good offer after all. Let me tell you, there's no small print when it comes to the gospel. It is repent. It is believe and be saved from your sins. And through that simple act, suddenly we're made right with God. Through that simple act, suddenly we are forgiven. Through that simple act, suddenly we are, we are cleansed, we are made new. Through that sun, simple act, suddenly we are, we're born again, we've passed from death to life. Through that simple act, we suddenly have this declaration over us, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that should deserve a hallelujah. Eh? Doesn't it? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is the nature of the gospel. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Maybe that you're here and you've, if this is the first time you've encountered what this message is all about. It's good news. It's good news for you. It's good news for you right where you are. Because it's done. It's an announcement. And you can be forgiven in this moment. You can be made totally clean. You can have a brand new life. You can be filled with God's Spirit and live in another dimension. Know that there is one who daily helps you through life. It doesn't take but a moment. Just that moment. And I want to pause just for that moment. If that's you, just make that response in your heart right now. Let's just close our eyes. that's you and you've never believed this good news that's it this morning repent you've sinned you've got it wrong turn to Jesus who's done everything and believe him that he is right now able to save you just say some simple prayer I've got it wrong I'm messed up. I can't do it. Lord Jesus, come and save me. Come now and change my life. Reconnect me with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me how to walk with you to live this brand new life. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Maybe that you as a Christian just need to hear it again and get the sense of the magnificence of the gospel. What God has done for you. The devil's been whispering in your ear. You've had a miserable week. You've lost sight of Jesus. Just to hear again that good news. You are forgiven. You are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. There is now no condemnation. Walk free.
Lift your head high as my son and my daughter, for I have given you my spirit. And go, and with all confidence, share this good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. If you responded there in any way, please come and talk to me or Graham, or you would like prayer in any way, again, please come and talk to Graham or I or Barney or Pete or maybe a house group leader. Somebody there who's with you. Somebody who's sitting with you. You've come with this morning. You want to know more. It's good. It is the gospel.